Good morning. It's wonderful to be here this morning. Very thankful uh, to get to be here and to be with you today. I have to confess, though, uh, when Carrie sent me a text and said, would you speak on Christmas morning, that there was a few seconds there that I was trying to figure out what was going on in Amarillo. I'd forgotten that Christmas Day fell on Sunday morning, and I thought maybe the elders had planned a special Christmas morning at dawn service or something, and it took me about 15 seconds to go, oh, yeah, that's a Sunday. So uh, very thankful for that invitation to do that. And thinking about what to study this morning, I want to share with you, uh, as you can see on the screen, the topic of meditation. It's not a topic that, that's often talked about, looked at, but it's mentioned a whole lot in the Scriptures if you really dig into it. And as we talk about meditation, the first thing I want you to know is we're not talking about the Eastern religions' practices. We're not talking about worldly practices. In fact, biblical meditation stands in exact opposite of all those different types of meditation. All those worldly meditations or other religious meditations would encourage you to sit and find a quiet spot and to empty your mind, to think on nothing. Biblical meditation is just the opposite. It's a very active mental process. In fact, I would submit to you this morning that as you think about meditation and, and its significance to your walk as a Christian, let me ask you a, a couple of questions of some areas that you might struggle with that, that this topic might interest you in. Do you find yourself mentally easily distracted? Maybe when someone is praying... And we've got one of those individuals that likes to pray and can really pray. And you know what I mean? They can pray. But two or three minutes into the prayer, not because you don't love Jesus, <laughs> but your mind starts to slip and wonder. Maybe you're one of those individuals that as you're studying, your mind kind of wanders off after a few minutes and you can't keep your mind focused. I would submit to you that if you develop the habit and the practice of meditation, it can strengthen your ability to stay focused on a topic. Another passage that you might think of there in Corinthians is where the Bible tells us to take every thought captive. Do you find yourself struggling to control the thoughts that come into your mind and to get rid of those thoughts and get them out of your mind as the Bible tells us to do? If you find yourself struggling in that, that when something flashes across your mind, you just can't let it go, let me submit to you the practice of meditation and developing that can help you take control of your thoughts, control what you think about and how you think about things. It's a very active thing. It's part of the process, I believe, where Paul tells us, through uh, the Holy Spirit through the hand of Paul tells us that we're to exercise or to train ourselves for godliness. And this is one of those areas where as we begin to engage in that and develop that ability to, to meditate from a biblical perspective, we gain control of our mind, we gain control of what we think about and our thought process, not just during prayers, not just during Bible study, but throughout the day. And we'll see that there's passages that teach us things like to keep our mind stayed on Jesus throughout the day, to keep our mind set on things above, not on things below. And the practice of meditation is something that can help us do that. If you think about it, meditation here isn't a, uh, and we'll look more closely at some definitions, some usage of it, and hopefully define it, but it, not only is it not thinking about anything, but actively thinking about something, I also want to say this, it's not something that's similar to a deep Bible study. It's not prayer, though it may be led with prayer or be tied to prayer. Meditation in and of itself isn't an active thing that you're doing. 
And before we get into it, I want to say this. I've had people say to me, well, you know, my, I like to meditate while I'm driving down the road going 70 miles an hour. I want to tell you, that's not biblical meditation. It, it, you might help you, and I'm not taking that away from you, but when you look at what the Bible has to say about meditation, being active doing something else doesn't fit with meditation from the biblical perspective. This is a time to stop. And we'll see that throughout the Scriptures. The passage I want to start with here is in Philippians chapter 3, beginning here in verse 9. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, writes and says, And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. One of the things that's fascinating to me as I, I look at this, Paul starts here and says, listen, I, I have no righteousness in and of myself. If I'm right with God, it's not because of anything that I have done. I, I'm not a righteous person, but rather it's through the faith of Christ and that gives me that righteousness, that righteousness of God by faith. My faith in Christ Jesus' faith is what produces that righteousness, and what he desires is that I may know him. There's a vast difference in what Paul is talking about when he says that I may know him. He doesn't say that I may know about Jesus, that I may know about God, but that I may know God, that I might have a deep personal relationship. I know those are phrases we're not comfortable with and we don't like because of the abuse in the world, and I get that, but I want you to see from the Scriptures, Paul sought to know God, to have this relationship with God. And I understand and I recognize and I'll acknowledge to you, you can't know God without knowing about Him. You can't know Jesus without knowing about Him, but the opposite isn't as true. You see, you can know all about Jesus and never really know Him. The Scriptures teach that. What did Jesus Himself say in Matthew, the seventh chapter? That many in that day will say to Him, Lord, Lord. And what's He going to say to them? I never knew you. Well, wait, well, who were these people that He said, I didn't know? These were people that spent their life doing good deeds, that served Christ, that served other individuals in the name of Jesus Christ. They knew a lot about Jesus. They knew a lot about the activity that they should be doing for Jesus. But Jesus said, I don't know you. He said, the only ones that are going to enter into heaven are those that do the will of my Father. So there is a responsibility to know about Jesus, but there's also this tie of knowing Jesus. And I would submit to you that meditation fits in that category of drawing close to God, of increasing your relationship with God in such a way that it makes a difference in your life. And when you look at the Scriptures, we find individual after individual whose life was changed whose life was strengthened, whose walk with God was strengthened just by spending time with God. Notice here in Psalms chapter 16 and verse 11, David says this of himself, that will show me the path of life. In thy presence is the fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures evermore. You know, we can see this being in the presence of God, that the joy that that brings when we have gatherings such as this. When the whole church comes together and we know that we're in the presence of God, the, the joy that we feel, the encouragement that we feel from one another, and we see that, and that's great and that's wonderful, and we should always strive to be a part of those gatherings. But David's not talking about just a bunch of Christians or a bunch of God followers getting together. He's actually saying just me being in your presence is where I find joy. 
And I want to ask you to think about your life day to day. Do you need a little bit of joy each day? I don't know about you, but all I hear, and I shouldn't say all I hear, a lot of what I hear around me from the world is negative, bad news, this group hates that group, this group wants to destroy that group, this group's at war with another group. It wouldn't hurt for me to find myself in the presence of the Lord to find joy, to find that comfort that only He can provide. Meditation is a way that I'm able to do that, and we see this over and over and over again. Notice, if you will, here in Psalms 46 and verse 10, the Bible says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathens. I will be exalted in the earth. We like the part that says, No God. We like the part that says, I'll be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted among the earth. That be still gets us, doesn't it? In American culture, be still doesn't fit our lifestyle. In fact, those that are praised in America are those that can multitask and not only do one task at a time, but do several tasks at a time. Those are who we look to. Those are the ones that we think we ought to emulate. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. If you're a multitasker, God bless you. Glad that you have a brain that can handle more than one thing at a time. Some of us don't have that, but God bless you for that. But notice what David, what God is saying to you and I through the hand of David here in Psalms when he says, be still. Stop. That's why I said earlier this meditation that we're talking about, it's not something that we do going 70 miles an hour down the road. It's not something we do while we're washing dishes and cleaning the house or doing some other thing and have music on in the background and and our mind is distracted with all these other little minor tasks, even if they're tasks that we do without thinking about them. He said, I want you to be still. I just want you to stop for a few seconds, for a little bit of time, and know that I'm God. Does your life ever get overwhelmed with stress? The things that are going on around you, the news that you hear, wouldn't it do you some good to stop and go, you know what? He's God. No matter what I'm facing, whether it's my health, the health of a loved one, whether it's the crisis of a nation, the price of gas, how we're going to do this, how we're going to do that, just to stop and go, you know what? He's still God. No matter what I'm facing, He's God. That's the benefit that we're going to see as we go through some of this. Notice, if you will, uh, I'm just going to list a couple of individuals here that the Bible talks about doing this. It says, Abraham got up early in the morning to a place where he stood before the Lord. He made it a point to get up in enough time to just stand before the Lord, to be in the Lord's presence. How do you start your day? (laughs) Especially if you've got little kids that have to be at school. How do you start your day? I'm guessing a lot of us fall into the routine of a very hectic start to the morning. Contrast that to just standing at the start of your day before the Lord and what impact that might have on how the rest of your day plays out. Not only do we see that of Abraham, we see that here of Isaac. Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. Here, opposite of the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, Isaac, when he chose to do his meditation, and would just go out into the field at the close of the day 
to just spend time between himself and the Lord. In a second, we're going to define that word meditate here in a little bit more, but I, I want, to, want you to see these ideas being present that standing before the Lord and spending that time and how the Bible talks about that and these individuals that participated in that. Even Jacob, they talked about him rising up early in the morning and took a stone that he put for his pillow and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon it. Early in the morning, he's got this time, if you continue reading here in Genesis 28, that's just for him and the Lord doesn't involve prayer, but it involves him spending time in the presence of the Lord, thinking about that and what that means to his life. We see it also with Job who sent and sanctified his family and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings. Thus did Job continually each morning. He found time to spend in the presence of the Lord over and over and over. And, and what I want you to see, whether you're talking about early in the morning or late in the evening, is what all these individuals do is spend time meditating and taking time out of life. David says he does it in, in the situation upon his bed and meditate on, in the night watches, that he takes time out of his life. And again, we see here with Jesus himself when it said those that he went out to a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And this is t- combining meditation, I believe, with prayer, spending time with God. But over and over, we see these individuals who make it a point to just spend that time before the Lord. And the power that that has on an individual's life, I believe, is seen in Isaiah 26 in verse 3, where he says, "'Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on them, because he trusted thee.'" As a Christian, striving to live day by day for God, when do you find yourself in trouble the most? Isn't it when your mind is where it's not supposed to be? How can I be stronger against sin in my life? We had a prayer about temptation and not falling to that. How can I strengthen that resolve to do what's right in that moment of temptation? Well... I'm going to tell you, a lot of your success or failure against sin is going to depend on where your mind is at when you're facing that temptation. If your mind is on God, that sin looks a whole lot different than if your mind is on the things of this world. Well, what can I do to keep my mind stayed on thee throughout the day? This practice of meditation, this practice of controlling my thoughts and being able to focus and choose what it is that I think about, rather being Rather than being a subject that's acted upon, I am someone that acts. I control my thoughts. I don't wait for things to happen that dictate my thoughts. I'm going to be an individual who finds perfect peace in the Lord because my mind is stayed upon Him. And that's what I need to do. Notice, if you will, here in Psalms 119 and verse 148, David says, Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate on thy word. Here we're starting to get a little bit closer to understanding what this meditation is. But notice again that we saw with all those individuals here, David is talking about preventing the night watches. This is a very purposeful thing that he's doing. This could mean he rises early in the morning or he stays up late at night. However you want to interpret that phrase there, prevent the night watches. But the point is, is he made it a priority in his life, more so than sleep, to meditate on the Word of God. Again, in Psalms 1 and verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. My mind is stayed on God. I prevent the night watches. All day long, my mind is on the law of God. I meditate on your Word. These individuals aren't just giving us empty platitudes, but teaching us 
how we're going to endure this walk through faith in Jesus. Where do we get that faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the law. I can meditate on that day and night. I can prevent the night watches that I might spend time not deep studying, not looking up the definitions of words, not writing sermons, not writing Bible outlines and studies, but just simply meditating on the Word of God. I'm not saying meditation should replace any of that. Elders don't get upset. I'm not telling your congregation not to do the studies. Do the studies. Spend time deep digging into God's Word. Memorize God's Word. You need to do that. But part of the purpose of that is so that you might meditate on it, that you might have it with you at all times. Again here, as we look at the idea of what this word meditate means, here we see the same exact word used in Hebrew in the book of Job where he talks about utter. He says, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. So when we go back and we look at these phrases that upon your word I meditate night and day, What that means is not that I emptied my mind, but that I sat there and I uttered your word over and over and over again. You see, biblical meditation isn't an empty mind. It's a very active mind. It's where I take the word of God, I take the principles of God's word, and I just roll them actively through my mind and I dwell on them and I think about them. I utter it over and over and over again. Any of you that have spent time practicing that, realize how many epiphanies, how many aha moments come to you when you just sit there and roll a verse over and over and over through your mind, and you just utter it, and you just keep talking that verse to yourself and to God and talking about that verse. What does this word mean? What did you want from this? Why did you communicate this? How is this supposed to impact my life? The more I just roll that through my mind, the more I'm going to be able to pull out of that. But if all of my study is, is I read the Bible, and then I close it, and I push it away, and my, it's not in my thoughts anymore. I'm not thinking about it anymore. Yeah, I spent a good 10, 15, 20 minutes thinking about it, but that's it. I don't take time to sit down and to utter that word, utter the passage, utter those principles of who God is and what God does over and over, I'm missing out on a way to get deep in understanding who God is and what he requires of me. Notice again, this word meditate is translated here in Psalms 35 and verse 28 is the word speak. He says, and my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness. My tongue shall meditate of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. He's going to utter it. He's going to speak it. It's not this empty, passive. It's a very active process where I'm spending time with God's Word, talking about God's Word, talking over God's Word. Again, the word talk, my tongue shall also meditate of thy righteousness. Another way it's translated is mutter here in the book of Isaiah. When they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and that meditate or mutter. It's that same word being translated in different, length, different ways, but it carries this same idea. So we're not talking about sitting in a dark room and emptying your mind and just humming to yourself with your legs. No, we're talking about a very active process where I cut out all the noise, all the distractions of life, and I engage my mind actively with God's Word, talking about it, muttering it, uttering it, speaking it, 
over and over and over again thinking about what does God's Word mean here? What is the application? What is God communicating to me? What does this reveal to me about who God is and how I should interact with this God? And the more time I spend with that, the more I'm going to spend drawing closer to who God is and how He wants me to live. You see, there are some really great benefits We talked about learning to control that mind, but there's some other things that come along with that, that when your mind is stayed on God's Word, it's going to cause you to respect God's ways, cause you to be more mindful of your actions throughout the day to where you're choosing purposely to follow God, even in those difficult moments. Notice here, David says, I will meditate, I will speak, I will utter, I'll mutter, in thy precepts, and have respect to thy ways. I want to tell you, those two principles are directly related one to another. An individual that has respect unto God's ways, an individual that's living day by day, following what God wants them to do, is an individual that's spending time learning about God and learning who God is and what God requires of them by putting His Word in their mind so that it begins to fundamentally transform who they are. Spending time meditating, uttering, speaking God's Word. It's a living, active thing that can be part of our lives that helps shape our life. Again, it gives us wisdom. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day, says David. Through thy commandments thou hast made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. I'm not that smart of a guy. I really, I think I know what's going on. I think I've got it figured out, only to find out I really don't. And I need that wisdom. I need God's wisdom. How am I supposed to respond to this life? And the way I'm going to get that in my day-to-day life is by meditating on God's Word so that it becomes part of who I am. Yes, I can sit down and I can do a deep study, but I want to tell you there's a difference between knowing that answer in a perfect, hermetically sealed environment where it's just me and the Bible versus being out in the middle of the world with temptations flying at me, opportunities to compromise all around, and you know as well as I do that that's when I struggle. That's when I fail. Well, how can I strengthen that? By having God's Word as my meditation night and day. It'll give me the wisdom to handle those moments where I can't sit down and run away and escape everything, but I have to face it and go through it. It'll give me that wisdom that I need. Thirdly, it revives me. It gives me the strength that I need to make this life. David says here in Psalms 119 and verse 7, uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure to make the wise simple. That's what I need. To live each day, that wisdom, that reviving. Where am I going to get that in the heat of the battle? I'm going to get that as I spend time purposely meditating on God's Word so that I'm able to pull out the strength, the wisdom that it offers me, that it might direct my paths day by day. I know all of us in this room, and I know there's been many, many guys stand up here and talk about the need for us to study God's Word and how it can do all these things. And and amen, and I agree 100%. And and I would say keep preaching those lessons, preach them harder, preach them more frequently. That's important. But I want to encourage you today 
to add this idea of meditating on God's word to your spiritual exercise, if you will. Taking time on a regular basis to sit and just think on God's word, to utter it, to mutter, to speak. Not when you're driving down the road, not when you've got other activities. Just stop and spend time with God and with his word. And look at the things that God has created and allow it to direct you so that it will increase your faith, so that it will make a difference in how you live day by day. We quoted this passage here in Romans chapter 10 earlier. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When I'm at work, when I'm in society, I need God's word guiding me, directing me. And by taking that time as a regular practice to meditate, it becomes part of who I am. It becomes part of what directs me. Whether you've ever practiced this or not, let me encourage you to try by beginning in your life by taking just a few moments each day, maybe just three or four or five minutes each day to start meditating and see if it doesn't make a huge difference. And I promise you what's going to happen, especially if you're an individual that's not used to doing that. You'll make about 30 seconds (laughs) and your mind will wonder. And that's okay. It's the first time you've ever exercised this muscle. You don't expect a person that's never ran a marathon to go out on day one and run a marathon. They're going to have to build up to it. Maybe you spend a week trying to meditate for just one minute. And at the end of the week, you've made 50 seconds. You started at 15, (laughs) and you've made it up to 50. That's growth. And if you'll keep doing that, you'll see the impact of all these things, the respect, the wisdom, the strength that you find in that, the the increase in your faith, the application that you're able to make of God's word to your life on a day-by-day basis. It can help you. It can't replace study. It can't replace prayer. I don't want you to get that idea, but it can strengthen all of those things in you. Notice, if you will, I want to look at this example here in Deuteronomy chapter 32 where he talks about what we're trying to do. Deuteronomy 32, he begins there in verse 46. He said, and and he said unto them, set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which you shall command your children to observe to do. All the words of this law, for this is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. And through this thing you shall prolong your days in the land where you shall go over Jordan to possess it. This is God instructing Israel on the importance of his word to them, of knowing that, of spending time with it. And he said, this is what I want you to understand. It is your life. Listen, I said earlier, it's possible to know about God without knowing God. And I I get that. There's a lot of people in this world, there's a lot of atheists that can quote a lot of scripture to you. And that's not what we're talking about. It's just knowing what the law says. But knowing how it applies to you what it really means for you, what it tells you about who God is and your relationship. That's what he says here when he says, it is your life. It's not about just blank commands and we get to check them off, but it's about our relationship with God. You want to know why the commands of God, whether we're talking about how to worship or talking about how to pray or how to handle temptation, you want to know why those matter? It's not so that I can stand before God and say, look, I did all these things. You owe me heaven. Remember where we started with Paul's statement? Not of my own righteousness. You see, knowing God's word and keeping it in my life isn't about my ability to stand before God and say, you owe me something now because I'll never get there. 
The reason all these commands matter is because they're what pleases the one that saved me. They're the one that tell me about who he is and what he's like. That I might draw close to him and be strengthened by that. Not that I can pay him back, not that I can earn salvation, but that I can please him. That's why they're my life. I don't get life because I kept them perfectly or I'll keep them perfectly. I never will do that. I got life through Jesus Christ, through the faith of Christ and my faith in him. That gave me life when God said, I'll give it to you. And then the commands of God, the teachings of God, become of great value to me because they teach me about the one who saved me and helped me draw close to him. I want to submit to you that as you spend time thinking on his commands in that way, not just a bunch of checklist of what I have to do and don't can't do, but rather as a revealing of who God is, that it begins to shape and change how you see this life and see things in this life. There's a passage here in Psalms that uh, 40th chapter that I, I really love because it, as I spend time doing this, here's what God is going to do. When he says, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. I love this phrase where it says, my ears thou hast opened. That phrase literally means to dig out. God says when I will spend time with him and I get past this idea of keeping commandments for the sake of keeping commandments so that I can check them off, when I start looking at his law and I start looking at his word as guidance of who he is and, and revealing about my relationship, when I begin to see it that way, he says what I'm doing is I'm digging all the junk out of your ears. I just want you to think about all the junk we hear every day all around us. There's some stuff out there that we know and we can recognize that's being pushed on us from the national level and, and society that, that we go, yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> it's pretty easy, pretty black and white for us. But I would submit to you also that there's a lot of subtle stuff out there, a lot of little twists and turns that if we're not real careful, we can swallow that hook. I'm going to give you an illustration in combating the false teaching of evolution, there were some individuals that came up with what they called ID. This idea that there was intelligent design behind it. And as you read a lot of ID literature, it sounds like, hey, that's, that's, that's almost a biblical approach. Because what they say is, yes, we can look at creation and we see the design in it, so we have to naturally conclude that there's intelligence behind this creation. And if there's intelligence behind it, it had to have a designer, therefore we can call that designer God. But what they don't tell you right up front is they turn around and say, here's really what happened. Evolution did happen. God just designed it to happen. Or your being whatever it wants to be of intelligence caused it to happen. That's not biblical. It's a slight change. It's very subtle. And it'd be really easy to sink into that and fall into that and go, hey, here's a, a scientific, educated way to explain uh, the Bible. No, I, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about what did God say he did. 
And the only way I'm going to have that stuff dug out of my ears, the subtlety of this deceit that's in this world around me, is by spending time in God's Word, not as a checklist of rights and wrongs, but meditating on it so that it reveals to me who God is and what, his relation, or what our relationship should look like so that I can praise Him with my life, not so that I can stand there and check off these things and say, look how good I am. Can I, can I be real honest this morning? This may cause me to never get another invitation back. I don't know. Can I be real honest this morning? We spend a lot of time trying to look good. We're more concerned about how we look on the outside than who we really are sometimes. We're real good at putting on a show. And I just want to tell you, brethren, shame on us because we're not really fooling anybody. Listen, I know you're messed up, (laughs) and you know I'm messed up. Can't we quit pretending that we've got this Christian thing figured out and that we've got it down perfectly? Can't we be honest and say, I need to know more about God, and I need a stronger relationship with Him because I'm struggling here, and I really want to be in that relationship with God. And I need you to be honest with me about those struggles so that together we can draw closer to God. Meditation is a tool that God gives us that allows us to do that with His Word. And we'll see in the Scriptures that it can go beyond just meditating on actual Scripture to the things of life. Here's a great example to me in Psalms chapter 29. We're going to read the first 11 verses here. It says, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh him also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of the fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discover the forest. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. I love this psalm because all it is is David stopping to think about one aspect of God and meditating on it. And that is the power of the voice of the Lord. Over and over, He just counts to himself what God's voice alone can do. He's not even talking about the full power of God. Just his voice and what it causes. Do you think that that would have an impact on how you spent your day? If you spent five minutes at some point in the day thinking about the power of God's voice? I think it would. When we begin to take God and who He is and what He can do, the things that we learn about Him from His Word and take His very Word and we begin to meditate on it, it causes those things that we talked about earlier. Notice, if you will, it's going to cause eventually for you to be this kind of person that says, here I am, send me. Isn't that what He's saying here? We just read all these passages about the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. If I've been meditating on that 
and I see that God says, hey, Mike, I want you to do this, well, I'm going to hear that voice, and I'm going to say, okay, Lord, I'm not sure I'm going to do it right. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to get it done perfectly, but I'm going to go because you've asked me to go and asked me to be that. Ultimately, what we're talking about this morning as we start to wrap this up is this idea of this. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. I don't know what your mind pictures or imagines when you hear this phrase, God will draw nigh to you. He will draw close to you. In my mind, I see God coming up and putting his arms around me, protecting me, strengthening me. Vastly different than God being over there and me over here. He says, if you'll come to me, I will come to you, and we can have this relationship. Draw nigh to me. Be strengthened by who I am. Lastly, Psalms 37 and verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, for he shall give unto thee the desire of thine heart, Commit thy ways unto the Lord, trust in him, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. This whole idea of committing yourself to the Lord, delighting yourself in the Lord, and being in his presence, being near him, understanding who he is. Challenge I want to leave before you this day is, is very simple and very straightforward. That your Christianity move beyond just the keeping of law, but into understanding that law is important because it reveals to you who your Savior is, who your God is. And that God wants that relationship with you to draw close to Him, not to be about just rules and regulations, but a relationship that's highlighted through those things. So the challenge for you is, is are you drawing close to God? One tool that you can use to do that, that the Scriptures show us, is this practice of meditation, of taking time on a regular basis to clear all the distractions of your life and just sit and utter, mutter, speak, talk the Word of God, the character of God, and ruminate on that in your mind that it might change who you are that it might cause you to draw close to God. This morning, if you're with us and you've not made your delight in the Lord, if you're struggling with something and you feel distant from the Lord, I want you to know that there's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing these elders, as good men as they are, can do for you. We're singing a song that we refer to as the invitation. I've said this many times in this pulpit, or not this pulpit, but I'm in a pulpit, it's not my invitation. I don't know what I just did there. It's not my invitation. I don't even believe it's the invitation of this church. I believe it's the invitation of Jesus Christ. Because if you have a spiritual need this morning, I want you to know He can meet that. Whatever it is, He's ready. Draw nigh to me, and I will draw nigh to you. If you're ready to draw close to Jesus, we'd be honored and be humbled for our elders to come sit with you and talk with you and share with you God's word, God's plan for how you might draw close to God this morning. If you'd like to take advantage of that, we ask you to have a seat on this front row as we stand now to sing this song.